0: Thanks for listening to the Refuel podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. So we're talking about friendships tonight and in the words of SpongeBob, F is for friends who do stuff together. So what are some things that friends do together? By being a friend, you do a lot of things together. Um, When you're a kid, maybe you still do this. It was all about, you you do a sleepover. There's a, a fine art of negotiating the sleepover between parents. You know, you have to tell, your your parents have to call your friend's parents, but your friend has to let the, his mom know that y- your mom is caught. There has, it's, it's almost like international negotiations to pull these sleepovers off. But, you know, if you've if you, if you got a best friend, you know, you're sleeping over with them. You're A lot of times, like, you get to go on, sometimes you get to go on, like, family vacations with them. How about like, you have a friend who it's like, like, you don't ring the doorbell at their house. Like, you just walk in. Like, you walk in, you open the fridge, like, 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 you know, their dad's in their boxers and doesn't think a thing about it. It's just like you're one of the kids, you know. And we have, you know, I hope you have some close friends. Um, but as we're starting this series, the series is called Relatable. It's our last, think about this, it's our last full refuel series of the school year. Because there's only five weeks of school left. Isn't that crazy to think about? Um, we're going to be talking about some th- some things that we we try to get get to every year, uh, because there are some very important things in your life, friends, family, and dating, and it seems like life revolves around a lot of those things, Uh, but tonight we're going to talk about your friends, you and your friends, your friend groups, and I put... You, how many of y'all you like when you go to like Texas Roadhouse or um, Outback, you get the onion thing. You know what I'm talking about? I got a picture of it. I I'm going to make you hungry. This onion thing. But By the time you're done eating it and you're done eating the rolls, you're like, I, I can't even eat my... Yeah, you, you go home with like a box full of stuff, right? Um, but have you ever been in a friend group that it turns into a blooming onion? It starts like knit together, like super cohesive. Hey, Drew, we're still making smoke over here. Um, and I don't want to look like I'm in a pool hall. Um, thank you. Um, your friend group starts like this nice, tight group, but before you know it, it's like a blooming onion, and piece by piece, person by person, it seems like drama and conflict destroys that friend group you have. Now, don't you be looking at your friends and blaming each other yet. We haven't even got into the lesson yet, okay? Um, Piece by piece, that friend group that you had in elementary school is like halfway gone in middle school and in high school, you've already made new friends. You know what I'm talking about? Conflict, things happen, drama gets injected into stuff and your friend group starts dissolving. Over the past few years, we've talked a lot about friendships. A lot of the lessons that we've had out of the Bible talk about how to pick the right friends and that's important, right? You hang out with the wrong people. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals, right? You have to have good friends. But what happens when you've got a good group of friends, but drama gets injected? It's interesting that it usually starts when she gets a boyfriend or he gets a girlfriend, you know, and and it's like, you know, like all of a sudden you're not so important anymore. What happens when the friend group starts getting drama? We like to use that word, right? Drama, just another word for conflict. Would it surprise you to know that Jesus' friend group had conflict? No. I'm glad it didn't surprise you, Kate. Jesus' friend group had drama. And it was not like a one time thing, there was a continual thread of drama that went throughout the three years that they existed and, and, and served together. So if you have your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 18. And what I hope you get by the end of this tonight is we're going to be talking about how to fight. We're going to be talking about how to have conflict in your friend group because it's not a matter of if. It's not a matter of if you and your friend don't see eye to eye sometimes. It's a matter of when. And we'll, get, we'll understand that. But what I hope you learn tonight and I, what I hope that, that kind of our rallying cry is tonight is let's win friendships and not arguments. If you're sitting next to somebody you know that's like a friend, look to them and say, let's win friendships, not arguments. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's win friendships, not arguments. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 18. We're going to be doing this lesson a little different. We're going to be going through the whole chapter of Matthew 18, but we're not going to read the whole thing and then make like comments and points on it. What we're going to do is we're going to read a section at a time and we're going to, we're going to make a comment on each section of this chapter. So, if you're open to Matthew chapter 18, if you've read, I just finished actually two days ago reading through the book of Matthew. Um, I've been kind of reading it verse by verse, you're leading up to Easter, and what's interesting about the book of Matthew is that Jesus is going from city to city announcing that he is bringing a, his kingdom to earth. And he's talking about the, the rules and the values of his kingdom and his disciples. He's got 12 guys in his friend group. And his disciples are starting to hear Jesus talk about the fact that he's setting up this kingdom. So the disciples are starting to think, hey, if Jesus is setting up a kingdom and he's gonna be the king, and there are 12 of us, I wonder what I need to do to kind of work myself into the vice king position. Like, I need to be the alpha disciple here and establish my discipleship dominance so that I can be the second in command in this kingdom and I can have all this power and all this authority myself. And you start to see them talking about it and comparing each other. And when you get to chapter 18, a few interesting things have happened. One of the disciples' name is Peter, and we think that he was probably a little bit older than the rest of them. Did you know that actually most of the disciples, many people, scholars believe, were teenagers? Probably between the ages of 15 and 19. That's like a lot of you guys. Like Jesus' friend group was teenagers, but most people believe Peter was a little bit older because he was married and because he had to pay a tax that you read about in chapter 17 um, that was only for people 20 and older. So we we, we think that Peter was a little bit older. And in chapter 16 of Matthew, Jesus asks a question that stumps all the disciples except for Peter. And he gets it right. And Jesus kind of, he, he kind of celebrates Peter getting it right. And then in chapter 17, Jesus picks three disciples, Peter, James, and John, to go up with him on this mountain where Jesus is what we call transfigured. He's, he, he reveals himself in his glory to those three disciples. And only the three of them got to be a part of it. Peter was one of them. Then you get to the end of chapter 17, and Jesus miraculously provides money for Peter in order for Peter to pay a tax that he needs to pay. Are you starting to see something that's going on here? It seems like, 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 like Peter's getting a lot of press. Like Peter's getting a lot of PR. He's getting a lot of attention. And it seems like the disciples are not very happy about this. And in Matthew chapter 18, we read what starts happening among these disciples. So let's read in chapter 18, verse 1. It says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Matthew just kind of puts it in a sentence, but if you look at some, if you look at in, this, this, this story, this account, this happening is also recorded in Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9. And what we realize is the disciples had been arguing about this during the whole trip and they thought Jesus couldn't hear them arguing. They'd been kind of like low key arguing to where they couldn't, they didn't think Jesus could hear them well, I think I should be better because I did this, and I think I should be better because yeah, yeah, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved, and I think I should be, but yeah, I, this, this. There. It got so bad that a few of the disciples, they asked their moms to ask Jesus to make them number one in his kingdom under him. How, how desperate do you have to be to have your mom ask? Like, there's, I told my mom, I gave her strict instructions when I played soccer, I said, mom, I don't care if I'm bleeding out on the field, don't come onto the field. No matter what you do, don't come onto the field. That'd be the most embarrassing thing. That was what I just what I told her. So I, broke, I was in a soccer game, I broke my foot. My mom didn't come on the field. They carted me off, put me in an ambulance. So, um, so, <laughs> props to my mom. Um, so the the disciples were so desperate; they had their moms going up to Jesus, like, "Can you make my son the best? Can you make my son like your number two in command, like your first mate?" So there was a. This was not just a little scuffle. This was like an ongoing thing. It was like if you have chickens. I don't know if you have chickens. It's like they're trying to establish like the pecking order, and they wanted you know, the one wanted to be like the top chicken. You know. So there's this fight going on, and it's interesting the way Jesus addresses this fight. Verse two, it says, and calling to him a child, <laughs> hey, child, come here, he put them in the midst of them and said, truly, I say, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes these little, one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it gets pretty, pretty serious, pretty quick. It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Wow, say it. Wow. 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 I'm not going to make you say mom. <laughs> say it upside down, mom. Wow, that's that's serious. So what we see here is this this drama that's going on with the disciples. We see two reasons for drama two reasons for conflict in friendships these are two reasons that we should expect drama in our friendships conflict in our friendships and the first is the pride within us if you look at the way that this is phrased here the way that jesus addresses this and here's what you need to remember verse one of this chapter verse one of this chapter is the reason that Jesus is saying all the things that he's saying in the rest of this chapter. It's in response to this scuffle, to this fight, this drama going on in his friend circle. And the first thing that Jesus does is he calls a kid, random kid. I guess there were kids around. And you you can read in Mark and in John that Jesus actually takes the kid, he puts the kid on his lap, he wraps his arms around him, not like in a weird way, or like you know, like the where the kid can't breathe, like like like, like a, 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 a like a loving embrace. Like he, he's loving his kid, and he says, "Look, you have to become like this child if you're going to be just in my kingdom. And whoever is the greatest is the one who humbles himself like this child." When we think of kids, like kids in our, our like our society are celebrated. You know, like, like gender reveal parties are getting insane. Like I, I think you know, everybody's trying to one-up each other for like revealing genders. Like at some point somebody's gonna die trying to reveal the gender of their kid. Like, they're just, like, like the gender reveals are just getting so like, you know, obnoxiously huge, right? Um, so I don't, are we allowed to have gender reveal parties anymore? I hope so. Um, but like they're just getting so over the top because we celebrate kids. We celebrate babies in our society. Like kids are awesome. I mean, some of us are like, too many kids, (laughs) I'll stick with my one. But like, kids are awesome. In Bible times, in the ancient times, kids were not awesome. Uh, A Bible scholar named R.T. France wrote this about children in Jewish society. He said, a child was of no importance in Jewish society, subject to the authority of his elders, not taken seriously except as a responsibility, one to be looked after, not one to be looked up to. In the ancient world, especially outside of of the Jewish community, children were very often abandoned by their parents because the parents wanted to pursue wealth or their parents wanted to pursue this or pursue that. Children were, were looked upon as expendable and children were looked upon as just so unimportant that nobody would think of them as, as someone to, to model or to mimic. And Jesus raises this child up, and he shows affection and love to this child, which didn't happen in the Middle Eastern culture. And it was a, it, it was, it was a, it was a big deal to these disciples. And you see it in verse, uh, verse number two. He says, truly, unless you turn, unless you change your mindset, unless you change the goals that you're pursuing, become like this child, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. What's so important about a child? Some people say, well, the child was innocent. Well, we know chi- children aren't innocent. One day you're gonna have kids and you'll realize children aren't innocent. They make messes wherever they go. Stuff comes out of every like, orifice of their body. I don't know how kids produce so much snot and they're not aware of the snot that they produce to wipe it. Anyway, a chi- the child was not representing innocence. The child was representing humility, being humble. And Jesus responding to this fight is saying, The reason, one of the reasons you're fighting is because you're all so full of pride. If you think about, don't talk about it, but you think about the latest drama or the latest conflict that entered your friend's circle, you could probably trace it back to attitudes of pride. It's saying, I want to be the one on top. I want to be the one who's the most important. I want to be the one who decides what we do on Friday night or on Saturday. I want to be the one who controls. Um, I'm the one who got my feelings hurt because you said something that I didn't understand, that that came out wrong, and I'm upset about what you said. Or it's that I'm so full of myself, I don't really care how you feel or if you're offended by what I say. It comes down to pride, and Jesus kind of works that out, and, and, and do you understand... Do we use the word extrapolate anymore? He extrapolates it out. He he develops this thought about pride being destructive to relationships all the way out to the fact that many people were abusive to kids during that time. So Jesus reminds his disciples that one of the worst things you can do is to abuse a child. And Jesus prescribes the punishment, doesn't he, for abusing a child. It's serious stuff. But what comes down to is pride. I believe we could trace pride down to gossip Bullying, just being a general like snob with your nose in the air thinking you're better than everybody else. Cheating, when you get older, adultery, envy, murder, abuse, it all comes back to pride. It all comes back to somebody acting selfishly. And one reason that we can expect drama in our friendships is because each of us were born with a sin nature just like the disciples were, and we have pride within us. If we keep going, we keep reading through, let's let's pick up verse seven. Remember Jesus drops the bomb about what happens to people who abuse kids and and, and, and what he prescribes and how serious the pride, the sin of pride is. Verse seven, he says, woe to the world for temptations to sin. Now, woe, when we say woe, we're like, "Whoa!" it could be a good thing, it could be kind of a weird thing, Whoa. Woe meant judgment in the Middle East. So Jesus says, judgment, woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it's necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. How serious is sin? How serious is is, is the pride and the sin that we deal with? He says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away because it's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet into the eternal fire. If your eyes cause you to sin, tear them out and throw them away. It's better for you to enter with one eye life than with two eyes and be thrown into the hell of fire. I guess it's time to say wow again, right? Wow. That's pretty serious stuff. Sin is not something to joke about. It's not something that, yeah, it, it, it's not something that we should take lightly. And this is a reminder, not only that sin affects our personal lives, right? He's talking about how those of us who sin, we have a sin debt to pay. That debt is death and eternity in a place of suffering called hell. But it also affects, remember, Jesus is saying this in response to the fighting, right? In response to the drama. It also, sin also affects our relationship. Relationships with other people around them. How, why, how do you think the disciples learned how to fight with each other to get to the top to be in the, to the top in this kingdom? Well, they had sin in their own hearts. They had pride in their own hearts. But they were also taught by the world around them, the culture around them. So two reasons to respect drama. The first is the pride within us. The second is the world around us. We live in a culture that celebrates conflict. I had to get a little more use out of it, a little more mileage out of poor old Will Smith. Um, but our culture celebrates conflict conflict. We have entire shows um, that we watch and we stream devoted to conflict. Songs are written about conflict. One rapper gets mad at this rapper, so he writes a bad song about them. Taylor gets mad at a next boyfriend, she writes a song about him. There are entire almost genres of music related to conflict. And he says woe to the world for temptations to sin. What do you mean by the world? Do you mean like the planet Earth? We read in 1 John chapter two that the world is a system. The world, we could use the word culture maybe to describe world. The things that we watch and the things that we see and the messages that are being given to us all tell us the right way to fight according to the world. And I wrote down some examples of, of, of ways that the world tells us that we should fight when somebody does us wrong. The world says, when at all costs, scorched earth, whatever it takes to get ahead, because you need to look out for you. The world says, if they hit, hit back. The world says, assume the worst about someone. If somebody says something that could be taken one way or the other, before we find out what they were actually going to say what they actually meant in that TikTok, we're gonna get in the comments and just light them up, like I see that all the time, right? We also see, well, we see this, right? You know, somebody says one thing, a joke that could've been taken one way or the other, let's not even talk about it, let's just go up and, you know, I'ma put, on, you know, catch these hands. We also see, it, even, in, even in, I was, I was thinking, you know, I was talking to my daughter, even in kids' shows, like, you don't like what Bruno has to say? Freeze him out. We don't talk about Bruno, right? How many of y'all, that song, anybody else, the song has been stuck in your head or is it just me, okay? The world says if you don't like somebody or somebody says something you don't like, you harass them, you dox them, you do whatever you can to make their life terrible. Do you see that the messages that are sent to us about the way that we should handle conflict from outside the Bible don't lead to life? and they don't actually reflect the values of Jesus. So there are two reasons to expect drama. There are more than two, but we see here two reasons that we can expect drama. The first is the pride within us. The second is the world around us and the messages that it sends. So you may ask, well, is, is there any hope? <laughs> like, are we just gonna always fight? Like, are we just gonna be like, woo? Like, almost fell off the stage. Are, are, we just, are we just always gonna be in this constant thing of like, I get mad at you, so I go to this friend group, and then I get mad at this friend group, so I go to this friend group? You see that happens sometimes? Is there anything we can do? Well, Jesus shifts here in verse number 10 from talking about why conflict happens and exposing the sin to what disciples, people who follow him should do when there is conflict. He gives three like commands, three imperatives. And the first one is in verse 10. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who's in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that went astray? And if he finds it, I truly I say to you he rejoices more over the nine he rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray so it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that any of these little ones should perish so now we've talked about two reasons to expect conflict or expect drama here are three ways to respond to drama they're all f-words And the first is we need to see people from the Father's perspective. Jesus takes the eyes of these disciples, remember? Verse one, this is the reason Jesus is saying all the things he's saying. He takes the eyes of the disciples off of themselves and he puts it on how God responds to people who do wrong. And what does, what does he say? He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Despise can mean to look down, to think little to nothing of, to just kind of like, like like push away. He says, see that you don't despise. And he's still got the kid in his lap. You know, he's still got the kid. He says, see that you don't despise any of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, angels will always see the face. Their angels will always see the face of my father. There's something here that if you want to talk about it later we can unpack it but it se- he seems to indicate that that there are angels who protect us and report back to god the father about us and look after us we'll talk with if you want to talk more about that we'll talk afterwards because there's there's a lot there there're a lot of books we could read about that but he's reminding us that people are significant we look at people and we see I don't like what she had to say. I'm just not gonna to talk to her again. I'm just gonna write her off. I'm gonna despise her, I guess you could say. Jesus says, no, look, look, at the, look at the person and look at how God sees a person. I wrote down a few ways that, that, that God sees people. God sees that everyone is significant. 99 out of 100 is not good enough for God because we were created and your friends and your enemies were created in God's image. They were loved so much by God that when they were in sin, he sent Jesus to die and pay the penalty for their sin. We see that God doesn't write people off when they mess up. So when God sees someone who stumbles, someone who messes up, does he say, well, they, they blew their chance. He goes after them and he pursues them. And God's desire we see here and we see in Second Peter three nine, is not that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance. We see a God who values people. And oftentimes when we get in drama, the first thing that we do is we push people away. We think little of them. We believe the worst about them. We don't see people the way that God sees them. We don't look at people with compassion. The first thing we have to do when, 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 when stuff happens, I've heard somebody call you know, it's called drama scuttlebutt. Have you ever heard that term? I was like, that's a weird term. I can't remember who said it. But yeah, when we see drama, when we see conflict, the first thing we should do is we should make sure that we're looking at people the way God looks at people. The next, and here's where it gets really practical. If possible, win friendships, not arguments. Look at, look at Matthew 18 starting in verse 15. Because I can imagine the disciples were like, okay, that's great, we'll use God's eyes, but what if they do bad things to us? Like, like, like what if they say bad things about us? Like, like, like what if they like, don't invite us to, you, to do this with us? You know, what, if, what if they're talking behind our backs? What should we do? What should we do? Jesus says, here's what you do. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two brothers along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell him to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound on heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. I like how Jesus starts this and he says, if your brother sins against you, he says if, it reminds us that relationships can be messy. Y'all okay over there? Okay, it reminds us that relationships can be messy and it's not a matter of if, it's not a, but it's a matter of when. Jesus anticipated these disagreements. What are you supposed to do if somebody, somebody does something wrong? The first thing you do is you go to them, it says, some of you may need to underline this, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. How different is that than the way we usually deal with conflict? Usually when somebody says something about us, when somebody gets us upset, when somebody does something wrong, the first thing we do is that we try to to collect a posse to agree with us. Be like, hey guys, do you, know what, do, you know what, uh, do you know what Cade said about me? Let me tell you what Cade said about me. And I just, I, I spend the whole time talking to all you guys about what Cade said about me and about how terrible of a person he is. And I create my little posse to freeze Cade out. Y'all don't even know, probably, oh, you, you, you could tell me some things about Cade, but we won't. Um, and I, cre- I create a whole posse. What does Jesus say? It says, go just you and him. Don't text your friends about it. Don't make like a post that like is, is kind of like a, everybody knows it's directed to Cade. Go to the person, go to the person alone. But here's the problem, some of you, you see this and you're like, oh, this sounds fun. Go and tell him his fault. <laughs> I'm gonna go tell Cade his fault, I'm gonna tell Ozzy his fault, I'm gonna tell Andrew his fault, I'm gonna tell you your fault, oh Musgrave, you better brew some coffee. i got a lot to tell you. Yeah. Tell, 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 tell. tell. Do, you see how, do you see how this could be weaponized? Look at the goal. Look at the goal. He says, tell him his fault. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. The purpose is not to pick up a Bible and just, bam, knock somebody out. Man, I got close, didn't I? The purpose is to win the friendship back. So that means that the way that you use your tone when you talk to somebody is important, right? It means that the facial expressions you use when you point out what somebody did that was wrong to you is important because you're not doing it to win an argument, you're doing it to gain a brother. But what if, what if they won't listen to you? What if they're like, I don't think I did anything wrong. Then it says, it says, if he refuses to listen, take one or two others with you that every charge may be established by two to three witnesses. Once again, that doesn't mean rounding up a posse. That means including people that are aware of the problem, right? So, so if the person doesn't listen, you take one or two people with you and you talk to them about it. Remember, you're still trying to win the friendship, and then he says, if if they won't listen, you bring it to you bring it to the church, you bring it to church leadership. And the, you know, this isn't something we've had to do often um, at, at our church, but th- there have been times when 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 people refuse to, to reconcile and people refuse to to make things right, and, and and we've had to we've had to talk about it as a church and we've had to deal with it as a church. And and but do you see do you see the the process here? You don't just start by getting everybody worked up about the person that did you wrong. You start by going to the person and winning the friendship. And I love how you see the goal restated at the end. He says, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it'll be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. The reason that we should try to win friendships with our brothers in Christ and not win arguments is because, this is gonna sound cliche, but it's the truth, we are better together. We were built to be in unity. I need four big strapping high school bulging guys. (laughs) I'm just gonna start picking you. Kurt, Trevor, Tyler, Tucker, get up here. Okay, so now I need some middle school guys. You want to volunteer or you want me to pick you? Rylan, get up here. Andrew. I need like three more. Luke, Owen, one more middle school guy. One more middle school guy. Brody, come on up. You were trying to volunteer, Carson? You get volunteered. Okay, so what I need is I, I need my, my high school guys. I want you to get right up here on all fours next to each other. We're building a pyramid. Oh, All right. So now... Tucker's going to come around here. Now let's get Brody, Andrew, and Luke. I want you guys right up here. Yeah. All right. I need one more middle school guy. I need one. Mason, get up here. Come on. Come on. All right. So now Owen... And Mason, I want you guys to get up on their shoulders. All right? And Rylan, I think you know what's coming, don't you? I think you know what's coming. I'm getting these guys a workout. Try to hold it together for like 0. 0.2 seconds at least. Uh-oh. 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 Almost got it, almost got it, almost got it, almost got it. your leg up, your leg up. Alright, Rylan, just try to get to the top there. Alright. <laughs> right. I'm gonna ask you a question. Listen, listen. When everybody's fighting for the position on the top, how secure are they? Not secure at all. They're pretty easy to push over. Right? Okay, now stay up here, guys. Now what I want you to do, get in a circle facing each other and lock arms and hold each other tight. Pretend like you're holding your, your, your teddy bear at, at night, all right? When everybody's locked together in unity, how hard is it to push people over? It's pretty daggone hard. So you can go back to your seats. Do you see, the, do you see the, what we're illustrating here? The purpose for Matthew, sorry, the purpose for Matthew 18, the purpose for going to somebody is not to try to just whip up on them and tell them what they did wrong. The purpose is so that we're all back, locked arms, so that we can pray together and that we can serve Jesus together and that we can take the gospel to the world together. We're supposed to win friendships, not arguments, because we're a lot more effective when we're holding together than we are when we're trying to climb on top of each other. So if possible, win fr- That's the largest human pyramid ever, actually, by the way. It's in India. Win friendships, not arguments. I don't have much time, so let's get to the last one. I'm gonna have to kind of summarize what happens here, but Jesus closes with a story. And this is the story. I'm gonna summarize it. This is the and then NIV, Matt McLean, on inspired version. There was a man who owed a whole lot of money to his master. 20 years worth of wages. U.S. dollars would be like about a million dollars, a little over a million dollars. A million dollars, $38,000 dollars. And this man was due to be put in the Middle East in a debtor's prison because he couldn't pay back the money he owed. So he came to the master on his hands and knees and said, please will you forgive me the money I owe? I have a family. You know what the master says? He says, your debt is forgiven. That's another wow moment, right? You owe a million dollars and (laughs) your debt is forgiven. So this servant has just been forgiven the debt of a million dollars. He doesn't have to go to prison. He doesn't have to be locked away with Will Smith. I don't think he went to prison. But he doesn't have to be locked away. And you know what this guy does is he's walking out of his master's house, he sees a friend that owes him money. This guy that's just been forgiven a million dollars. He probably owes, we, we think probably, this, this servant probably owes him between 13 and 18 thousand dollars. In U.S. dollars, it's still a lot, but it ain't a million dollars, right? And you know what he does? He grab, It literally says in the Bible. He grabs the guy by the neck and says, "Pay what you owe me." This guy who's just been given forgiven a million dollars is trying to get this guy thrown in prison that owes him thirteen thousand dollars. Jesus uses that to illustrate why we should forgive people who do wrong to us. It's because we've been forgiven by Jesus. We had a sin debt. We read about that early in the chapter. We had a sin debt that we could not pay. The payment was death. The payment was eternal punishment. And we celebrated it last week. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid the debt of our sin when he died. It's been paid for. We are the servant who owed a million dollars. Jesus is the master, and he forgave our debt, but it cost him his life. And when people do us wrong, it's just as ridiculous when we, hopefully proverbially speaking, grab them by the neck and won't let go of what they did to us. A lot of people are holding on to grudges, and we've talked about this before. The more you hold on to a grudge, it's like the more the grudge holds on to you. It's been said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. And Jesus reminds us here that there are three ways to respond to drama. The first, you know, the first we read about in verse 10, we need to see people the way God sees people. The second way to respond to drama is to win the friendship, not the argument, but the third, really it's the most important, is to forgive because we've been forgiven. Let's win friendships, not arguments. We don't have time to get to my H words tonight, so I'm gonna ask Drew to put the last slide on the screen, and you can write them down maybe if you want as you leave. Um, But there are some things that I would encourage you to do tonight. If there's something going on in your friend group, if there's something going on between you and somebody else, the best time to make it right The best time to deal with it is tonight. We can't go through all these, but I would encourage you, if there's somebody in the room tonight that you've kind of pulled away from, that you've had issues with, to find them tonight and to win a friendship. So we're gonna pray, and I'll let you guys take pictures if you need or write these down and we'll leave. So let's pray together. Um, God, it's so important Lord, it's so important that we don't fight like the world does. God, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh God, I believe there are friend groups that are here tonight, and there are friendships that have been made here and in other places, God, that could, be, could last a lifetime and could prove to be so valuable in the way that we help each other live for you. But God, we have to learn how to deal with conflict. We have to learn how to deal with what happens when one of us messes up. And so God, I pray that if, if there's someone here tonight that's dealing with, with somebody that's done them wrong, God, that they'll go to that person in the spirit of Matthew 18 and win a friendship. I'm God, I pray if there's people here tonight that they know they've done something to hurt somebody else, and that they will go and make that right tonight. And God, I pray for people that are holding on to grudges. People have done them wrong, hurt them, left them, abandoned them, and they're holding on to that anger and that hate and that unforgiveness. God, I pray that they will trust you to be the executor of judgment and justice and that they will live in the joy of forgiveness tonight. And God, we win friendships when we can, but we forgive always because we've been forgiven by you so greatly. And we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that he paid the debt that we owe for us on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.